We're getting pretty close to the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians and it's been an amazing letter. There's so much that we've been able to learn from it and so much that we've been able to apply from this letter in our lives. And now that we're coming to the end, Paul does a bit of summing up. And what he's really keen for us to understand is the spiritual reality behind what we see happening and what we, see ex- and what we experience in the physical world. The spiritual reality is the struggle between good and evil. And this isn't just some kind of abstract reality. This, this is a personal struggle. It is a personal stru- struggle between God, the Father, and, and between um, a personal spiritual being of evil, uh, Satan and his demons. And they are constantly trying to disrupt the good work that God is doing. And throughout his letter, Paul has taken up the subjects of truth, righteousness, peace, the gospel, the word of God, salvation and faith. And we've come across each of these as we've worked our way through the letter to the Ephesians over the last couple of months. And now he's trying to get us to open our eyes to the spiritual reality around these things. And, how, and to get us to understand how when we apply these concepts to our lives, they help to guard us in the spiritual struggle. He's trying to get us to understand the spiritual aspects of truth versus lies, the spiritual aspect of righteousness versus wickedness, the spiritual aspect of peace versus discord and gospel versus false gospels, the spiritual aspect of the word of God versus the twisting of the word of God, Salvation versus hopelessness and faith versus faithlessness. And Paul urges us to stand strong in the Lord against the schemes of the devil. And truth, righteousness, readiness of the peace of the gospel, um, the word of God, salvation and faith are the armour that God supplies which enables us to to, to actually stand strong like we're told to. So we're going to be studying each of these over the next few weeks, but more precisely we're going to be talking about the spiritual importance of each of these in our stand against Satan. Last week's message was an introduction to the spiritual battle and summing it up is be aware, be alert, stand strong in the Lord, praying at all times in the Spirit And not just praying for ourselves, but praying for all Christians and particularly for Christian leaders. And I do hope that if you weren't at the service last week that that you were able to download the message and have a bit of a listen to it because um, otherwise it might be left with a few gaps because we're continuing on from what we had last week. So the first piece of God's armour, and I want to stress it's God's armour, it's not our armour, it's armour that God gives to us And the first piece of it is the belt of truth. A Roman soldier's belt was like a leather apron that was fastened around the waist and it covered his loins. And it was something that held all of the rest of his armour together. And so the way I put it is if if truth is is the belt, then um, without truth you might get caught with your pants down. So the belt holds together all of the other pieces of armour. And truth holds together righteousness, the readiness of the gospel of peace, the word of God, salvation and faith. They're all held together by truth. Let me explain that. 
We'll use righteousness as an example. The breastplate of righteousness is a piece of God's armour. But what is righteousness? How do we know what righteousness is? Because most people like to think that they're righteous. Not not many people say, well, I'm I'm not righteous actually. Most of us are full of self-righteousness and so we think that we're righteous. I know with nearly every non-Christian funeral that I've ever done, the family are always very keen for me to, to know, oh, he was such a good bloke. He never did anything to hurt anybody. And, um, you know, it was really great. He was always so good. Um, when, you know, you sort of know from around town that he was actually a mongrel. But why are they so keen for me to know that he was so good? Well, I think they're trying to convince themselves and trying to convince me that, that he was righteous. And therefore, he's, he's going to be okay with God. But is that true? No. It's not true. They're not right with God. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, None is righteous. No, not one. You see, they're basing their hope on a false hope. They have a false picture of what righteousness is. And when you know the truth of the matter, that no one is righteous, then we realise, hey, I actually got to depend on God for this. And when we confess our sins, we can, we can receive the righteousness of God as God forgives us and we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I watched a movie a few months ago. Uh, it was called K-19, The Widowmaker. I don't know if anyone's ever seen it. It was actually a pretty good movie. I really enjoyed it. And um, it was a fictional, movie, fictional story, but it was based on actual true disasters that happened in a Russian nuclear submarine Um, during its sea trials when it was first launched. And during its sea trials, it had a pretty major failure in its nuclear reactor. And this thing was going to melt down if they didn't get into the reactor and fix some things that had gone wrong. And um, there's a scene there where Mikhail, the the executive officer, um, says, where are the radiation suits? By the way, my Russian um, accent is terrible. Um, Where are the radiation protective suits? And the engineer says, we don't have any. The warehouse was out, so they sent us chemical protective suits instead. Well, they might as well have sent us raincoats, he said. But, in true Russian style, they tell the men, these special suits will protect you from the radiation. And so, based on this lie, the men take it in turns of, carefully putting on their chemical suits and making sure they're all zipped up and taping the gloves on and everything and and stepping into this nuclear reactor and um, doing the work that they've got to do. And, of course, they're all severely affected with radiation because it was a lie. There's no protection there at all from radiation when you put on a chemical suit. And if your armour of God is not based on truth, If your armour of God is based on a lie, then it's as helpful to you as putting on a a rubber chemical suit and stepping into a nuclear reactor. And so truth is is listed as the very first piece of armour. And all of the other pieces are dependent upon it. It holds them together. And truth specifies what each of the other pieces of spiritual armour are. Truth. How important is it? When Jesus stood before Pilate, 
He said, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. What? Does anyone know what he said next? For this purpose Jesus was born. For this purpose he came into the world. What? To bear witness to the truth. Makes it sound pretty important, doesn't it? Truth is that important. That's the whole reason Jesus came, was to bear witness to the truth. And yet many people today, even people who claim to be Christians, in reality, they act as if truth doesn't even matter. We live in an era where where a very common phrase is, truth is relative. You might have heard people say that. Some people will say, well, you have your truth, I have my truth. And two people, two different people can claim to hold two mutually exclusive truths. So, for example, I believe the truth is no one can come to God except through Jesus. I believe the Bible very clearly teaches that the path to eternal life is to repent from our sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, make him Lord and know him as our Saviour and be baptised. Well, somebody else might say, no, 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 the, the, the truth is... The gospel is all about loving everybody and God is love. And so everybody gets eternal life. There's no hell. We don't need to have all this repentance stuff. You don't have to go through all that. Now, can both those statements be true? Well, one of them could be true or none of them could be true, but they can't possibly both be true because they're opposites. They're both saying opposite things. Right throughout this letter to the Ephesians, Paul has talked about the importance of truth. He talks about the word of truth in which we believed. He talks about speaking the truth in love. He talks about being taught the truth. He talks about putting away falsehood and to begin speaking the truth to one another. Truth is very important. And there's two big picture concepts of truth here that I want to take up. The first is the truth about God, biblical truth and godly truth. Uh, Another word that we could use to describe it is theological truth. Now the word theology, some people don't like the word theology because they, they align it with bad thoughts about God. But there's good theology and there's bad theology. Theology is simply the study of God. So every time you think about God, every time you're reading your Bible and thinking about God, you're engaged in theology. Right? So there's good theology and there's bad theology. So there's truth in theology, truth in our thinking about God. And the second big picture thing that I want to talk about today is truthfulness in our character. You're going to check on the uh, muffins, Mrs. B. Excellent. What you believe is important. Actually, it's more than important, it's critical. In chapter 1 of this very letter, Paul said, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Right? It's the word of truth. It's not just any old word. It's not just any old idea about God which we can start believing and be saved. 
It's the word of truth. And when the truth of God's word leads us to believe in the God of truth, that's when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And um, what that's really saying is like when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that's God's sign that we're saved. On the shelves of bookshops these days, there's there's a whole plethora of books written by people that we sometimes term as post-Christians, people who once used to call themselves Christian um, and some notable ones were previously ministers or priests or bishops no less and they've become disgruntled or, or, or disenchanted with the church and so they start to espouse and teach a new form of Christianity that they've decided is far better or a new form of spirituality and it's becoming quite popular uh, particularly among older people, strangely enough. You know, sometimes we think it's the young folk who get misled, but if you actually look at what's happening in the church today, it's the older folk who have been in the church probably all their lives that are starting to take on this new form of spirituality, whereas the younger folk are the ones who are much more likely to, to, to um, believe biblical truth. And the way that they sell it is they say that this new spirituality is for those who are tired of being told what they have to believe. It's for those who want to have the freedom to believe alternative ideas, other gospels, other philosophies, other truths. And of course it also appeals very much to those who do not want to be told how they have to behave. It it appeals to those who yearn to be their own gauge of good and evil and of sin and righteousness. And with their newfound spirituality, their so-called, they call it reinventing Christianity, they believe it's something that, that is going to move Christianity into this new century and make it far more relevant for a new generation. And with this reinvention, it's their personal feelings and their personal ideas that override revealed truth. And so what they believe about God is not based on the truth of the scriptures. What they believe about God is all their own ideas, their own construct. I actually call it modern day idolatry. Idolatry is where we make a God in our own image. And they may not be carving a God out of stone or wood, but they are fashioning a God based on their own ideas. And so idolatry is exactly what these post-Christians or so-called progressive Christians are on about. They compromise the truth about Jesus Christ because they believe it will be a whole lot more palatable message for the world to hear their, their own message. Let me let you in on a little secret. If you want to be a disciple of someone who's popular in the world, you better start following somebody other than Jesus. They crucified Jesus. Jesus wasn't popular because Jesus is truth and truth is very rarely popular. Somebody once said, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Our world today places tolerance as the chief of virtues. Tolerance can be summed up as live and let live and whatever you do, don't tell somebody else that they're wrong. And because of this idolatry to tolerance, truth about God ceases to be absolute 
and it becomes a personal choice. In other words, truth is substituted for lies. And today there's a very real battle for truth, a battle which is most critically being fought in the church. But the point that, and you probably see that happening in the church, truth being substituted for lies. But the point that Paul is making here is what lies behind this battle for truth? What lies behind it? Is it just a difference in opinions? Is it just people having different ways of understanding the Bible or is there something else behind it? God is the God of truth. Jesus Christ legitimately claims, I am the truth. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. What's Satan called? The father of lies. And when it comes to what we believe in God and salvation, if we depart from truth, we're no longer following God the Father. We're following a different father, the father of lies. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. My friends, this is very definitely a spiritual battle. And it's a battle in which we have to choose sides. And for us to buckle on this belt of truth, that means we have to embrace the truth about God and reject lies about God and have nothing to do with those who tell lies because these are actually the teachings of demons. That's what it says there, there in, in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Timothy. These lies about God are the teachings of demons. So therefore we have to distance ourselves from them. Of course this battle for truth stretches across everything that the Bible teaches about God and his ways. For every good truth about God, the devil probably has half a dozen or more uh, lies that he throws at it to try and get us to disbelieve them. But for today I've just chosen four of the big issues as an example of, of ways that lies are being brought into the church. And I've chosen these issues because they're live issues in, in the church in Australia today. The substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, repentance of sin, the uniqueness of Christ and sexuality. The doctrine of the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ is where we see God's love at its greatest. What that means is because of my sin, I deserve to die. This is the essence of the gospel. Because of my sin, I deserve to die. But because of God's great love, he sent Jesus Christ and Jesus was nailed to the cross and he died in my place. He took my sin upon him. That's the glorious truth. But it's a truth a lot of liberal Christians cannot accept. They can't accept it because it doesn't fit their picture of God. They can't accept that God is a God of wrath. They can't accept that the justice of God demands that sin must be punished. 
They can't accept there is a hell that we have to be saved from and so they say this whole doctrine paints God as some kind of cosmic child abuser. They say what kind of a God would, what kind of a father would have his son nailed to the cross? And so they begin to teach that the message of the cross is not a message of self-sacrificial atonement for sins but a terrible tragedy of, of oppression and abuse by the powerful over the weak. That's a lie. This is the whole essence of the gospel that they've just done away with. In one of the greatest modern Christian hymns, which we're going to sing later today, by the way, In Christ Alone, there's a verse that says, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Magnificent song. Magnificent verse of truth. But there's a lot of liberals who who cannot stomach that verse. And so you go to some church gatherings and they've changed it. And they sing, Till on the cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Now there's nothing untrue about that. On the cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. There's nothing untrue about that, apart from the fact that they're denying another greater truth, a greater truth for which that song was written and which it, was, it is teaching a generation to understand the true gospel. And yet they're unwilling to sing it. And so they end up with a half-truth. Do you know another name for a half-truth? It's a lie. A half-truth is a lie. Second one, repentance of sin. In many churches today they preach a different gospel, a social gospel, a prosperity gospel or a works-based gospel rather than preaching the gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins. We need to repent of our sins and receive the forgiveness of God. The uniqueness of Christ is the biblical understanding that there is no other way to God. Now the Bible is very clear on this, that any other so-called gods are not gods at all, they are demons that people pretend are gods. And yet in the name of tolerance, rather than preaching the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, churches today begin interfaith discussions and publicly acknowledge the integrity of other religions. And they agree that... that, that, um, oh look, we're not going to try and convert people from your religion to Christianity. Now what's behind this? What's behind this? I mean the Bible tells us we are to go to all nations and and try and invite all people to come to Christ. The Bible tells us that there is no integrity in other religions. And yet in the name of tolerance... Churches are saying, oh no, there's integrity in your religion. What's behind it? It's a lie. So Satan's behind it. Probably the biggest issue, it's gotten a lot of airplay both in the church and out of the church, is the whole issue of sexuality. The Bible very clearly teaches that sexual perversion, including homosexuality, is an abomination. It is a sin. 
but in an attitude of tolerance and an acceptance, instead of accepting that, yes, it is a sin, and falling down on, on, on our knees in repentance and begging God for his mercy, is being taught, hey, this is the way God's made you. You should celebrate the way God has made you. You should embrace your sexuality. And anyone who dares to stand against it is branded as unloving, intolerant or homophobic. When any of these lies begin to be taught in the church, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Satan is having his say. We're told it's a spiritual battle. We have to be aware, be alert, stand strong in the Lord and pray at all times in the Spirit. A lot of these lies will get brought in under stealth, saying, oh, this is the way that we can love people. We just have to be accepting and and show grace and, and this is all in the very best traditions of Jesus. There is nothing good behind these lies. It's the work of the devil. And we have to put on our belt of truth and stand in God's truth. It's much, much more than a differing of opinion. It's much, much more than just having different points of view. It's much, much more than just having a different understanding of how to read the Bible. It's an issue about who rules the church. It's an issue between truth and lies. Are we going to follow the God of truth or the Father of lies? And when it comes down to the second big picture issue, the truthfulness of our character, it boils down to exactly the same issue. When I tell the truth, I'm taking on the character of God. And when I tell a lie, I'm taking on the character of the father of lies, the devil. Whether I tell the truth or whether I tell a lie is a spiritual decision and a spiritual action that I take. And it's the same for you. And we have those choices every day, whether we're going to tell the truth or whether we're going to tell a lie. Just during the week, I went into ag engineering to buy, I wanted to buy a little filter for the washing machine. And every now and then we get a bit of black gunk comes through and we got some little strainers there. They block up just like that and then that's no good. So I went and bought a little filter and I bought a little boom spray filter to put on it. And anyone that's shopped at ag engineering knows that they're still living in the age of a paper-based accounting system. And um, they're, they're writing everything out. And I said, oh, look, don't worry about that. I don't need a receipt. And she said, oh, I'm sure you or your wife will be able to claim it for something. So, well, yeah, there'd be no worries about that. I could very easily claim it as a boom spray part. I do have a little boom spray that I use in the business. Um, But that's not the point. It's not for my boom spray. It's for my washing machine. But there's that constant temptation there all the time, isn't it? I mean, I could have bought this filter and then I could have got off my tax. I could have got the GST back. But I would have had to tell a lie to do it. What I should have said to that person is, look, I can't do it because that would be a lie and that wouldn't bring glory to God. No matter how innocent or how justified or how little you might think the lie might be, there is a spiritual battle going on. 
And every time you give in and speak that little lie, every time you claim something off your tax that wasn't really for work purposes, it's actually for personal use but you knew you could get away with it, every time you fill out your time sheet for the day and and you give yourself an extra quarter of an hour of work, every time you stretch the truth on your heavy vehicle logbook so that you can make it home for the night, or, or, or maybe slip an extra load into the wheat board for the day. Every time, this is a tough one, every time you make an insurance claim and you, you know that those two dints were made by two different kangaroos on two different days, and so instead of writing it down as that, you write it down as two dints on the one day from the same room. Every time you do this, you're imitating the father of lies. But every time you tell the truth, you're imitating God. I reckon we've gone far enough. Actually, when I first thought, oh yeah, message on truth, that'll be a quick one. I thought, yep, no worries, but I was wrong. Probably what I should have just said was, put on the belt of truth. Believe the truth about God, stand up for the truth, have nothing to do with lies or liars, and always tell the truth. If your truth, sorry, if truth is the spiritual armour to believe lies, to tolerate lies, or to tell lies, leaves you in a state of spiritual weakness and it leaves you open to the attacks of the evil one. Be aware, be alert, stand strong in the Lord, pray at all times in the Spirit.